or maybe love kept at a distance. Yes. The projectionist in the booth and the cleaner on the floor. Gosh, that sounds like a love story, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. We all of a sudden found our way back to Romeo and Juliet with a balcony and... <laughs> <laughs> Dang it. Hello, and welcome to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. And I'm Jackson Nikolai. And today we're talking about the play The Flick yeah, yeah. by Ann Baker. Uh, it should be a fun conversation today. Just a little uh, kind of set the scene for The Flick. This was the 2014 winner of the Pulitzer Prize. And, and that's notable not only just because it won the Pulitzer, but also because one of the plays that was also a nominee was Fun Home, which is a much yeah. beloved musical based on a graphic novel. And this play was picked for the Pulitzer over Fun Home. That's, you know, the Pulitzer is not the, the overall determiner of what's the better play or anything. Um, Fun Home is definitely wildly more popular, though. So it is interesting that this was the play that was chosen for the Dramatic Literature Award. Um, it was first performed out in New York City at the Playwrights Horizon Theater. Uh, that was back in 2013. Remember, it won Pulitzer in 2014. Then it was restaged again off-Broadway in New York City there before it was finally staged at Steppenwolf in Chicago in 2016, which is a theater Jack and I both love. So it's fun to get to yeah. uh, look at a Steppenwolf play. Yeah, definitely. And kind of cool, too. It was uh, commissioned by the that, that original theater as well. Like she wrote it for uh, the, the playwright, Annie Baker, wrote it for that original theater, The Horizons. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And, and it's, you know, it's got a really interesting um, kind of a, even an interesting set, the way that the set would be utilized. Yeah. We'll let Jack talk a little bit about the uh, story of it. Maybe that will lead us into talking about the staging. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, just kind of give you a, a uh, kind of brief context for this. This uh, play centers really centers around three characters. There's four characters in the the story, or five characters, four actors in this in the play entire. But it really focuses on these three characters who all work in a single screen movie theater in uh, Massachusetts. Let me just check my notes as to which town in Massachusetts that is. Wor Worcester or Worcester, depending on if you're from England or not, uh, Worcester <laughs> County, Massachusetts. Um, and uh, yeah, they kind of work in this this one one theater movie theater, and it, it very much focuses on their life as kind of the staff, the uh, the. Um, you know, cleaning crew and the film projector loader. There's the three characters are Sam, who is kind of one of the older hands in the in the theater. He's worked there for a very quite a long time, uh, presumably. And uh, he is joined uh, by Rose, who also has worked there for a while. And kind of the the new the new person who comes in is Avery. Um Sam is a, a kind of 35. He's a Caucasian. Uh, Avery is African-American. He has spectacles. And uh, Rose is uh, Caucasian as well, around 24. So uh, And Avery is 20. So you're dealing with two kind of younger folks and then a 35-year-old, which is still young, but older than them. And yeah, it all t and it all takes place in one location inside this uh, this single movie theater. Yeah, and what's interesting is that the 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 view of the movie theater you have as the audience, as described at the beginning, is from the screen. Yeah. So you're actually just looking at the seats. Is the whole set the seats, and then up to the projection window, uh, which is you know like one of the most boring settings just visually <laughs> of all time yeah but it, it contains this really interesting layering of stories that makes it somewhat interesting to watch I, I assume if you were a theater one of the things you'd consider is just putting the audience actually on the stage and mm -hmm. using the seats as they are it uh, depends on what kind of a theater you had um, but you know, it, it's just that kind of a space. It's designed to be really plain and they just, the staging, the stage directions call for them really just to go aisle to aisle back and forth, cleaning and sweeping. Uh, yeah. it, it seems like maybe this show is something like a props masters, either 
best dream or worst nightmare <laughs> in the kind of stuff that they have to collect. Yeah. And, you know, resetting the trash in exactly the right place and mm-hmm. at, at either at every scene break or I don't know, you may consider just doing all of the trash at the top. Yeah. Um, so there's kind of interesting questions like that. Yeah, throughout the play, these characters are kind of coming in after the movie and cleaning up, presumably. There's really only one one scene ever where you see anyone else besides these characters in the uh, in the theater, any of the patrons in the theater. And each scene, there's this kind of new and different bit of garbage that they wind up walking through and cleaning up. Uh, in, the, in the first scene, I think <laughs> one of the, the stars of garbage is this like a bunch of lettuce that someone had kind of dropped in the in the aisles that they had to pick up one piece at a time. Yeah, I, I actually love that moment. So it's it's I think it's the first scene and Avery, who is the new employee at the theater, is being trained by Sam, who is sort of long standing guy, more senior guy of the trio um, and is teaching him how to clean. And so they're, they're going through their aisles and Avery, the new guy, stumbles upon a subway wrapper and container and it's got all those crinkly little bits of subway lettuce you know what we're talking about there just those little shreds of it and there's this fun moment where he you know he tries to sweep it up if you ever spilled subway lettuce on your (laughs) ground even at your house you know exactly the kind of situation this kid is in he's sweeping it up (laughs) it's sticking to the ground it's not working so finally sam says you're gonna have to clean it up with your hands and that i i just found that such a charming moment an introduction to the characters this this thing that i know i totally get i've totally been there that's huge that's so human that's so gross you know it's so (laughs) real i i just i love the moments like that it it kind of it 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 it, it captures some of what I think playwriting uh, can do in its ability to comment on the real life. It's almost, you know, I sort of think that playwrights and stand-up comics do similar work sometimes in the way that they can comment on human behavior in a way that maybe movies can't quite get as well because movies are more often than not going for photorealism. Um and so in in plays, you allow characters to sort of comment on the odd behaviors of humans, one of them being these weird little shredded pieces of lettuce that for some <laughs> reason, no human on the planet can sweep up. Yeah. Yep. And so, but, and, but these experience, I, I really like that because that's so much what this play is about. These, these like shared experiences that you forget that you have, like, um, just just the conversations alone, like these messing up, like telling friends things that other friends shouldn't hear. That happens more than one time in this play. Um, and it's th- this play, especially for me, at least th- some of the things that I really liked about it was how many times it wasn't like this play uh, blew my mind all the time. Like there wasn't like stunning realizations or anything, but it just like resonated with my own experiences um, like things that I've said or have been said to me, I'm like, oh, wow, I that that absolutely happened to me like, you know, 10 years ago. I can remember when that person said that. Yeah, to me. yeah, absolutely. And the structure really lends itself to that. It's really a play of a lot of short vignettes. Yeah, that. Uh, and and short, really, that's only true when you're reading the script. Um, one of the, you know, it, it's the play is received. Maybe it's gotten mixed reception from audiences. Critics seem to like it, but the audiences have kind of a mixed reception to it because it's so stinking long. Yeah, um, which you some you get some when you're reading it. It is it's a long play to read, even just that. But it also calls for a ton of just silence yes. as they're just cleaning the theater that happens all the time almost every scene is like they talk for a few lines and they go back to cleaning and they talk for a few lines and they go back to cleaning which you know with your co-workers at work i found that rhythm to be really true you say yeah. something that pops into your head you get a few sentences about it back and forth and then you move on to your task and that happens again a couple of times it's that awkward i don't really know you so we don't have the context to have these kind of deep personal discussions um so we just sort of shoot the breeze um and that's what a lot of these scenes are they're just they're little couple page vignettes even sometimes shorter than that um and they come from you know the timeline is confused maybe it, it it's pretty chronological but you're not exactly sure how much time between scenes and they're sort of short conversations that seem a lot like real 
conversations you'd have with your coworkers. And they do fit together in a larger pattern, but each scene is it's it's sort of its own I don't know. It's not really it's, it's not really self-contained because a lot of the scenes don't really they don't really say much on their own. Really, yeah. the really the end of the play is about piecing these small vignettes together into this picture. Really, this this kind of beautiful portrait of three people. Yeah, definitely. Very. I mean, it's like it, it, I agree. It's really hard to kind of nail down what style, like whether we're supposed to be drawing patterns from this play or not. Um because because things are so episodic and I imagine watching it, it'd be even harder to really, you know, stay focused on the things that are happening because there are so many things kind of dropped and reading it. You get a feeling for it. But this all this language is so, uh, so vernacular, um, like it's just it's very much just kind of the way people talk. Um, it's so it's so just watching it would be would be really interesting, I feel like, to see if you picked up on all the things. But then especially, too, you, you mentioned silence um, throughout the play written in the script. I wanted to ask you about this and your thoughts about this. Um, she puts pause in there so much, uh, to, like a director's note oh to the, gosh, to the yeah. actor. Like between many paragraphs or many actors lines it just says pause long pause short pause nervous pause all these different types of pauses um what what are your thoughts on that yeah i think it's really interesting i i i think that maybe what she's trying to do is to force an actor or or maybe not force uh make an actor aware of the pace at which people who don't know each other talk Mm. Um, you know, when you're doing a show, even if you're all strangers at the beginning of the show, you've all been cast, um, and you don't know each other at the beginning, by the end of two, three, four weeks of rehearsals, a week of previews, shows, you know each other. And there's, there, there is some room for medium context, you know, chatting about the lives of you both know each other. But the, this play, especially at the beginning, is really about people who are new to each other. And so, the her, I think that her use of stage direction pauses is trying just to slow actors down, to force them to think about each line they're going to say in the way that you do when you talk to somebody new. You think about every sentence you're going to say. It, it You don't, at least I'm not very good at just jumping into sort of free conversation with people I don't know. I sort of sit and stew on what I'm going to say and then say something, hopefully something funny, um, and then yep. wait for people to comment <laughs> on it. And then I kind of sit quietly again. And, and I, I wonder if maybe that's sort of the rhythm she's trying to achieve. Yeah, I'd, I I definitely agree. And then I'd kind of add on to it as well. Yes. And also to the director, because I know with with as a director, I'm trying to really like shorten up those the pickups, keep things clipping along. And a lot of this play flies in the face of that. There's. Oh, yeah. Um, I think Annie Baker would be <laughs> mad at you if you did that. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe rightfully so. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I think it's absolutely it, it has to be indicative of these relationships that are are super like it's very similar to working in a gas station. <laughs> I mean, you're you're I worked yeah, in a gas or, station or any growing job up. that, that any, all yeah. it is is the same thing. Yeah, definitely. You're just, you just I mean, you're doing the same task. You have a checklist. You hit them every time X happens. You do Y. And um, so you try to you try to lighten the tension and eventually you get something close to friendship with your coworkers. But does it ever you know, wh- when does that line get crossed? That's the other thing that this play really deals with is are these characters friends or something else? Yeah, I, I mean, this is this is a co-workers play. You know, you, you almost could have titled it that the co-workers play. And you don't I don't know. I, I don't know that I get the sense that there are a lot of plays about people who are purely co-workers, not really. They don't really spend a lot of time together outside of the flick. Almost none, really, as far yeah. as we know. Maybe, in fact, none at all. They, they're they not family. They have no reason to care about each other's personal lives. And the truth is, you know, we get a lot of information about their personal lives despite that. So, it, you know, it maybe posts the question to you, do you share more than you think you do with your coworkers? Do they, do people, do the people around you know you better than you think they do? Hmm. Yeah. And, and at what point do you appreciate it? Like, 
um, if, if you consciously tell someone something about yourself, like there's this kind of interesting scene where Sam tells Avery this kind of personal, his family story, um, his, 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 right, uh, yeah. His his older brother, I think, has the mental age of like a three year old, and he's going to his his wedding uh, to um, and he's kind of processing uh, processing how he feels about that and his different family tensions tensions, and then Avery brings that up to Rose. Um, so in a, clearly, in a separate scene, in, yeah, in a separate scene later on when when Sam isn't there, and and so there's this. You know, the if I were to tell that to someone within the context of friendship, I would expect some level of of uh, care to be dealt to that information. However, within the context of like if Avery received it as a coworker telling the thought that, well, he's probably told this to all coworkers, that makes a lot more sense. So those kind of cross lines and 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 hurt trust uh, really kind of plays a central role within this play. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the the kind of the complicated web of extra professional relationships that they develop with each other is a lot of what drives the tension of the play. Right. So one of the one of the key through lines of all these little vignettes is that Sam, who's the older um, flick employee, is is in love pretty clearly even before he admits it in love with rose and it's his mono that there's a scene um where he tells her and it's you know maybe three quarters of the way through the play and i think it's maybe one of the most heart-wrenching relatable beautiful tear you apart scenes i've ever read i i you know i i don't know if i would actually i think i would i think i'd actually would like to play sam i don't know if <laughs> I, was, I was hesitating in that he's got some interesting things about him but i think mm. i would and i think that a lot of the reason i would want to do it is for the chance to act that scene it's yeah. so poignant he's he's stumbling he's desperate to try to get out what he's saying um and and, and she is so she you know she clearly doesn't reciprocate those feelings at least right away and so she is trying so hard to say something that is comforting and not and it's about you know they're both i think what what's so capturing about it is you watch them both struggle to get out what they want to get out and you know you as a reader as an audience member will have to decide whether they do or don't um jack and i maybe will talk about some of the end of play hints about what happens to them mm-hmm. uh yeah. later on but it, it that scene i think is so beautiful and it 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 it's a scene that i think would only work in the context of somebody like co-workers you know i, I don't yeah. know that that scene plays the same way if you're if you're best friends already or if you've gone on a few dates already this is about somebody who's never expressed anything um, intentionally personal to his coworker that he's thought about, but now he's forced to, and it, it freezes him. Even though, of course, as an ice member, you're like, well, of course you are. She already knows you are. You've <laughs> yeah. let that slip a hundred times. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That that scene, it, it struck me as like coworkers, and also like you know, just people, like even students, would be another situation where that that feeling might come out because you're doing you I mean you're just working together you're forced into situations together and one person feels one way and the other person maybe doesn't but um I I loved I loved his 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 lines were so honest but then her response was so honest too like you don't I didn't I hadn't really watched a scene that was so specifically correct in her response like he the, the way he presents it as like this thing that he's been working with all on his own separate for so long and why didn't he her question is why why don't you get to know me then uh this seems this seems a lot about you or it doesn't seem a lot about me i think is what she her line is um which is just kind of a weird to feel that mirror shine back you know in that moment of you know he finally breaks through and shares his his feelings that, about this to to have it shine back in that way that's so interesting i'm not sure i considered it that way because i think i actually disagree i think i find her to Ooh. be in the wrong in that scene she she seems to me at least to be deflecting instead of 
willing or allowing herself to experience something different. You know, um, Rose, who we, we could have a whole podcast maybe just about that <laughs> character. Right, She's yes. this weird, exuberant, um, gosh, I don't even know. I don't know that I have the adjectives to describe Rose. Uh, great part <laughs> if you're if you're a woman looking to play. You're you know you're a twenty something woman looking to play a part. Try to find somebody and do this show. Uh, that's a great part for a young woman. Yeah, um, and yep. she she just. She, but what, one thing that she does do that I think if you were to narrow down some of the things about her that are true is that she she does seem to deflect and try not to let anything touch the sort of cool facade of um and so i i sort of my my feeling of her response to that scene was there there's something deeper um it may not be reciprocal love but there's something deeper in her that she is beating down furiously and she's doing it by attacking sam and saying this you you know she doesn't she doesn't really say what she feels that's what i think i'm getting at is that mm. her response in that scene is not, well, you feel this way. Well, here's what I feel. I don't feel like I love you. Um, I feel like you're a nice guy and I like you. Um, we're good friends. Maybe this could be a relationship. What she says is, you don't know me at all. You don't. Ha- this feeling is all about you and none about me. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I see where you're coming from there. Um, I think let, let's drill down on this a little bit more because this is really interesting. Um because like I, I, I kind of looking at the context of 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 the different scenes, the context that I kind of uh, uh, pulled out of them, she's she's never never. I don't know that she ever within the scenes in the play shows interest in uh, Sam until he expresses like the scene afterwards. After he expresses his interest in her, there's maybe the scene where she says, "Well, geez, you didn't have to go." Out. He he winds up going on an, on an internet date, uh, and then she then she says, "Well, geez, maybe you didn't have to go do that right away and forget all about me." Um, the previous mm-hmm. scene, she is she is all about kind of chasing or or trying to flirt with uh, um, Avery's character. See, I I totally agree, and actually, I think for me at least, that to me is proof that there is something there. That she is not letting that she will that she refuses to let show. I actually think she may be interested in Sam. Or interest is not the right word. She may be attracted to Sam and is trying to choose not to be interested in him. I'll give you an example of at least in my mind how this works. Yeah, so yeah. there's a scene early in the play where she discovers. I think somebody left behind like a book of horoscopes. Um, so they all yeah, decide they're yep. going to pick their sign, um, and she's going to read the horoscope. And the book is really about, um, relationships between horoscopes. So you like, look up, I'm a Capricorn, I'm a Leo, I'm a Cancer. And you figure out, you know, who you're going to be compatible with. So she asks Avery what his sign is. Um, and so they all find out eventually what signs they are. Uh, her Rose and Sam are both Leos and Avery's a Capricorn. So, um, she looks up in the book, what the relant, what the romantic, you know, whatever could happen between a Leo and a Capricorn. And she's really using it to tease Sam and Avery. It's not really about her yeah. and Avery. Um, and then the business relationships. And then Sam finally asks her, Oh, well, what about two Leos? You know, and theory, what about you and I, how could we work out? And she reads it. Um, but, but she's so, I think it seems like she's so deliberately disinterested in that scene um as if Mm. she won't allow the uh she she she's she's refusing to let herself even have the conversation even in jest you know she's so funny and so exuberant in all of her life her her, the way that she treats sam for the first half of the play which i agree is with muted disinterest she tries not to encourage him she's Mm -hmm. very plain with him has to be an intentional choice on her part it's not a natural part of her personality Um, Sure. So the truth is probably one of us is right, right? She chose that because she knows Sam's interested in her and she doesn't (laughs) feel the same. Or she knows that because she finds herself to be attracted to Sam, but he's not the kind of person she wants to be with. Mm -hmm. Yes. At least in her head. I, I think I think what you said at the end there is really true. And it would probably come down to what the actor and the director want to decide from this. For, for this character in this, because I mean, you, you, you could definitely go either way. And, and it greatly depends on what Sam is, too, because he's 11 years older than her as well. Mm-hmm. 
Um, which I mean, which you is know, twenties, twenties and thirties isn't like an over overpowering gap of age, but it well, is a gap. Yeah, of and age. it's interesting because her and Sam are the more closely aligned characters, mm-hmm, even though yeah. they have the age difference. It's not. I mean, some of it is like Rose and Avery are younger and Sam's older, but really the sense is more Rose and Sam are employees and Avery's the newcomer, so they're more aligned even despite their age. So, what do you make then of the end, Jack? I wonder if you. Uh, what you thought of this line. So the end, Avery, um, he comes back there. There, there is a, an unfortunate falling out between them. We'll leave that as the secret, um, that you can discover when you read the play or, you know, as our one secret. So there is a falling out among the employees and Avery leaves and he comes back at the end of the play to collect some equipment. Sam has kind of giving him a gift of some of this equipment that he really values. Um, and, um, and Avery is really has sort of a, a bad attitude. He, he, uh, he's, he's negative about it. Um, and, you know, he's he's kind of ber- going on about Sam and how what, what a miserable life Sam must have. Um, but, yep. And Sam's response is, you know, actually, there are there are some good things in my life. There are some good things in my life. I just haven't told you about them. And then he says something along the lines of sometimes when you fall in love with people, they love you back. Mm-hmm. What do you make of that, Jack? Do you, do we think that that's Rose? Hmm. Um, if, if it is Rose, I'd, I'd almost feel a little cheated. Um, I, I think, I think that would be a, uh, uh, but I, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try to take this apart. Um, I, I, I think I would feel a little cheated because we've invested so much into this character. Really the, the characters, uh, interests in each other is such a through line of this show. Um, so to, so to not, to not take care of that on stage, like if in the, if in the time between when it's a little, it's a little tough trying to safeguard this secret for y'all, um, between the time where, uh, Avery and Sam stopped talking to the end of the play when they began talking again is a pretty short amount of time. So if we didn't, but it's within the context of the play. So if we don't get to see Sam and Rose having some, like having that love shared in return, I don't know. I don't know how I really feel about that as a choice. Um, yeah, well, it, well, the other thing that's interesting about the Sam and Rose scenes is both scenes where it seems like they're going to get somewhere. There's the scene where we've already talked about where Sam um, admits that he's in love with her and they have this sort of beautiful, complicated human moment. And then there's a later scene where Rose kind of checks back in with him after they've kind of made up a little bit. Um, and he reveals that he's going on a date. Uh, Jack mentioned that earlier. He's, you know, he's met this gal on the Internet and they're going on dates. And Rose is sort of upset by that weird she says uh, actually she i think she has a, a an awesome line i'd love to see it delivered by a, you know an actress of, and she says like uh well i guess you weren't really in love with me or no she says oh that's that's funny i guess you know how in love with me could you really have been if you're already dating somebody else which is such right. uh such a real thing to say like, <laughs> yeah <laughs> if you've dated any number of people somebody's probably said something similar to that <laughs> to you at some point in your life that's yep. a great line so but mm-hmm. what's interesting to me about both those scenes is that they are both interrupted by Avery at the moment where something seems like it could happen. Um, in the in the first scene where Sam finally admits he love with her, they kind of go back and forth for a while, and there's the, almost, to me at least, a sense that something could happen. And so there's maybe not something romantic, but the energy of the scene is getting somewhere. And there might be some resolution of some kind, and then Avery bursts through the doors, and there's a big mess in the bathroom, and he's all worried about it. Um, yep. And then that later scene, he bursts in and reveals the you know the terrible thing that causes them all to stop being friends and Avery to quit. Um, so. You know, Annie made a decision in both of those scenes to not let us get the satisfaction of watching them resolve. Yes. Okay. So there, maybe there's something in that about that relationship that all we're going to get through the whole play is an unsatisfactory non-resolution. And then a mm. little hint at the end about what maybe happened. That's such a, you know, I mean, because yep. we are invested in what happens to them. Sam is uh, he's so pitiable as a person that to watch him be in love with her and have the love unrequited, is you, it tugs at you a little bit and you're rooting for him. So you are invested in what happens to them. And she, she, she almost seems to have a deliberate belligerent refusal for you to know <laughs> what's going to happen to him. Because you assume they got to pick up that conversation later on in some yep. fashion. 
But yeah. we, you know, why, why were we invited? <laughs> yeah. And I'll jump on your bandwagon a little bit too, and add a little bit more fuel, fuel to that fire. If both of those, so if both of those scenes happen and Avery interrupts, there's one more scene that's just between them and it's after Avery is gone and they're breaking down the projector. It's a completely silent scene. That's um, interesting. I hadn't thought about that. So, um, and we, and again, there's, there's, there's no clear moment between them. It's all silent. It's be, they're behind the projector area. So there's no audio for it. You just see them being friendly. Um, um, you see it's, it's, uh, they laugh, they're, they're, they're working together, they're laughing and they're, 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 they're not, um, awkward or anything. So, or at least the stage directions don't say that they are. So I, I, to kind of continue that line of thought, I think that that pattern is really neat. Actually, if you, um, every time that they got close to something, Avery interrupts and then there's. Then they have a scene. And then finally, finally, I hadn't thought about that, Jack, but that's brilliant. Of course it is. This is a great play. So, of course, it's brilliant. But what's brilliant about that scene is Avery is the character who has the connection to the projector. Yes. Um, We're going to have to talk about that here in a minute. Absolutely. Maybe this will make more sense once we get to it. But Rose and Sam are breaking down the projector, and that's their kind of their final scene together. Oh, yeah. Maybe. And and what they're doing is breaking down the thing that Avery has the most connection to. (laughs) Oh, man. Yep. Okay. I I see. I see it. (laughs) That's that's fascinating. You know, you wonder why. It, it, I agree with you that I, I, I agree with you that it sort of feels like we were cheated out of seeing what happens to them. And yet it, it works for me. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I feel unsatisfied, but I feel unsatisfied in like a good way. Like that, that relationship, at least I, 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 I am fairly convinced that he is talking about Rose. Um, I may be wrong and maybe I'm just totally missing the ball there, but I'm fairly convinced he is. And so I remain satisfied in that, that I didn't, I didn't get to be a part of it. And part of this play is about being left out of things. Um, and maybe that's okay that I didn't get to be there. Hmm. I think the other thing that um, I think you did that I did not, and I think after having talked about it now, I think your choice was the stronger one in a directorial fashion. I think I read the play with Avery as the protagonist um, or mm. Avery as the person that we were in the story. Um, but I, I, think, I think you're much closer to the mark with the story between Sam and Rose being the thing that we are in the story. And Avery is this, this, that's so hard. That's a, that's a coin flip between the two. But Avery is introduced into this already pre-existing scenario and, and acts in some, acts in some ways as the accelerant for Sam. Maybe Sam would have never said anything if Avery hadn't, he hadn't perceived Avery as slowly working into Rose's affection. Well, and, and the inciting incident of why Sam actually decides to tell Rose that he loves her. This isn't, I mean, I don't mean inciting incident of the play. This is way yeah. later in the play. But the inciting incident, what causes Sam to tell her he loves her is that Avery, uh, Rose has decided to train Avery to be a projectionist. Which yeah. is this thing Sam has wanted for forever. And so Sam is furious with her. And that argument finally kind of ends in him sort of collapsing and saying, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. I'm in love with you. Um, so I think maybe you're right that the, the long story is this story of uh, unrequited love. Hmm. Or maybe love kept at a distance. Yes. The projectionist in the booth and the cleaner on the floor. Gosh, that sounds like a love story, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. We all of a sudden found our way back to Romeo and Juliet with a balcony and... <laughs> <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> okay, so so we talked along about the Rose and Sam thread of the play we've got to talk about avery uh because you know if 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 sam's not the protagonist avery is and right you you know you think i it's kind of a coin toss Mm -hmm. there may be and maybe the truth is that there that in a play this small there maybe isn't a protagonist that and and i don't mean small short i mean it's it's very long but it is three (laughs) people so it's a small cast it's big set small cast yeah, we got it. Yeah, definitely, we got to get into Avery because he draw. I mean, he is he is the uh, the kind of core piece that moves a lot of the other characters. He comes in as a young, early twenties um, 
kind of college student taking a semester off and we don't really know why for mo- for a good chunk of the play and um but he comes in and he's he's kind of learning the ropes trying to navigate these friendships with um with these people or these uh relationships with these people and and he has I think I think the reason why I came out of this play so lost was because I was uh, looking looking at him and he he has a lot of being lost in this play. Um, he's kind of going through a moment in, in in his life when he's trying to refine a lot of his moorings and movies are, are one of his moorings. Yeah, his story is it's so sad. He's, yeah, you know the the play itself is weirdly pretty funny uh, a lot <laughs> yeah. of the a lot of the humor comes from these three obviously very different uh, very extreme personalities sort of clashing in what are humorous ways i don't know that i'd call it a comedy but it's funny i mean it's engaging when they're together yeah. um but if you look at each strand or each character on their own it's really sort of sad and avery is perhaps the biggest moper of them all um <laughs> he it hit you know he He's suffering from depression, an mm-hmm. incredible depression, it seems like. He reveals late in the play that he – or middle of the play, really, actually right before the act break – that he um, has – is it's a year anniversary of him trying to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, that may – you know, some people in the audience are probably going to be surprised by that. Other people who live with people who have anxiety and depression aren't going to be surprised by that, and they'll have already seen the signs. So, it, you know, maybe it's a revelation for you. Maybe it's not when you're reading the play. But what it is is a big admission for the character to reveal something that personal about himself. And um, and I think what you, what we're right about here, Jack, is that I, I don't know that Avery's story goes anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, he his last scene is weird. He does he claims to have made some revelations. Um yeah. He his revelations but yeah, here let let's spoil a little bit. So the reason why they they all break up and he decides to leave is that he gets stabbed in the back by Sam and Rose. Yeah. Um, you'll you'll see how it's brutal, but <laughs> not, he does get not stabbed. literally like yeah, betrayed <laughs> with, a, with a butter knife. He gets yeah. no, no. he he gets betrayed by them in a pretty brutal way. The scene is uh, tough. Um, yeah, but that's why he decides to leave, and he comes back. And his final scene with Sam, it, he's talking about how he's come to the revelation that he really can't trust anybody, that people are inherently bad. That and he seems to have gotten some kind of catharsis out of that. He, mm-hmm. you know, he claims to have made some strides because of that realization. The problem is, you, at least me, I think that he's wrong. I think he's come <laughs> to the wrong realization. Yeah. And so the strides he's made feel like strides backwards, which is heartbreaking. Hmm. That's a that's an interesting point because I mean he's got a he has much more than ju- than just these relationships for that to go on with. He's got, I mean, he, there's this other scene where he drops this bombshell that it's within the context of like, yeah, I used to have Facebook back when I was in high school, but then he drops. Then my mom found her old boyfriends on Facebook and <laughs> wound up running away with one of them to Arizona and broke up with my dad. So I don't have Facebook anymore. I was like, whoa, geez. Um. He he has a history of being betrayed by people. So to have this this kind of capstone of he went out to get a job to kind of recover from uh, from where he had brought himself to, and it still happens. Um, the fact that he's the fact that he is still talking about something to do, <laughs> like he says, maybe I'll start a film group or something, and I'm going back to college this semester. You'd almost have to adopt that worldview of. It's fine. It's just we're not friends. We're just all trying to do something on our own um, to to cope with yeah, that. Yeah, and the that, that's that's the right attitude that he. That's a that's a perfect capture of his attitude in the play. Is just sort of it's fine. I realize that the world is terrible. I was right about that. He has a great monologue in the middle. Rose asks him. He's he's revealed to Rose that he's depressed, and she has. <laughs> she's such a character. She has a great. She just says, "So why are you depressed?" Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, what, are you serious? And she says, yeah. And he goes, because the world is terrible. 
And he, you know, he kind of goes into a yeah. lot about that, which is, it's one of those things where it's, it's really, it's pretty funny. Um, mm-hmm. even, even where it's heartbreaking and scenes like that. But, you know, so his end of the play is basically that he's learned that he's right. And his attitude is sort of, well, I was right. I'm fine. I, all I needed to get out of this experience was to learn whether the world was good or bad so that I knew I now know it's bad. Yep. Oh, well. <laughs> and that, that's that, you, you just went nowhere and maybe yeah. Annie Baker would smack us both on the head for saying that because characters go on journeys but that's that was my feeling for Avery was one of deep sadness that he that there was no more growth than the experience for him mm-hmm. you even think for a second that we're getting the oh he'll be fine moment at the end like he right, he yes. comes back and there's this slight moment of redemption um but even that falls short it's you know he's he still does he still walks away from you know in a very broken manner so let's talk about the way that um the 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 you know the movies obviously the play we, yeah, is we, it's we need set to talk in about a the movie movies. theater we got to talk about the movie so it's set yes. in a movie theater it's called uh, the flick <laughs> called the flick the movie theater is called the flick it's one screen it's an old film projection house so they're still doing film um which is a huge deal to avery avery is a film yes. buff to end all film buffs mm-hmm. he believes that it is actually immoral to show movies that were filmed on actual film uh show them digitally he seems to believe that yeah, he, he's got that sort of sense of I'm young and I want to care about something. So you wonder how deeply that conviction will run later in his life. But, you know, he's 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 a college student. And what he cares about is uh, art and real art house flicks. So he's got a really yeah. highbrow taste in movies. At one point, he and Sam are talking about and Avery's sort of point for the scene is there hasn't been a great American movie made uh, in the in the 2000s. And Sam's like, yes. well, that's crazy. What about Adam? Avatar. What about Lord <laughs> of the Rings? What about the Bourne movies? And of course, Avery's just like, I can't even. If that's what yeah. you think, I can't even talk to you about it. We don't. This we don't have the same a, vocabulary. Yeah. yeah, he he definitely like he has so much wrapped up in movies and um and like there's this there's this great it's it winds up being a, a monologue for the character or really a soliloquy for the character. Um, but he's talking to his therapist on the phone. And um, he he describes this dream of how he perceives his father going to heaven, like in front of him, as if it's a waiting room. And um, for his father, they're um, they're taking this barcode scanner and scanning the books that his father has read. And if there is a book of worth in there somewhere, the worth being subjective, apparently, completely. No, no, yeah, no, no, no. And it's it's not worth. It's if they can, they they are gonna find the book or movie that you loved the most. The one yes. that like is at the deepest part of your heart. Um, and then if, if they can find that one, depending on what it is, mm-hmm. you get into heaven or to hell. That is a good distinction. The, 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 the feeling of being connected and loving something deeply, um, is, is what, what this UPC scanner is, is determining to get you into heaven. And for him, for him, rather than books, it's shelves of movies, DVDs, VHSs that they're scanning. So it's I think I think we can say, I mean, yes, he's a pretty young character, but certainly he is imprinted on the stories that are shared within the context of movies. Um, and I think, too, the 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 play seems seems to hearken just a little bit to that. I went ahead and and listened to the different tracks that they recommend in the stage directions that are played. And they're all, um, they're all movies that are, you know, in the classic genre. Um, there's, there's, you know, ones with French names that I can't pronounce. And, um, yeah, he, he does really seem to have a deep love for foreign art house flicks. His claim is that the last great American movie made was Pulp Fiction. Yes. Um, and and that it, any, anything after that were good movies. He's certainly willing to say that the movies were good. Um, I, you know, Sam brings up some of the great, what we think of as the great movies of the past 20 years, like There Will Be Blood. Um, mm-hmm. And he says, well, good. That was a good movie, but it wasn't a great movie. Right. Uh, and he he has a very, very highbrow sense. He's a, he, Sam calls him a snob, and you kind of get the sense that Sam might be right. 
Yeah. <laughs> yes, definitely. And he like, you know, he has that scene where he quotes the, uh, the whole monologue from Pulp Fiction, the Ezekiel yeah. oh, uh, gosh. passage. What a scene. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. um, yeah. And um, if you read the play for anything, read it for that. Scene. Read it for that scene. It <laughs> he, is heartbreaking. Yeah, he quotes and the rending. Pulp Fiction monologue and it's it's in context of when he gets betrayed by the two. It's great. Y- yeah. Very good. Definitely worth seeing, um, or, or definitely worth reading, and 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 yes, seeing too. Um, but yeah, so much. I mean, certainly we can't we can't uh, just kind of throw away these elements; they're pillars of them. But in, in favor of the character relationships, but right, and they're, they're pillars of the the whole setting for the play, which is why the first inclination might be to say Avery is the main character, the protagonist, because he's got this connection to movies. The, yeah. pl- the play is set at a movie house. He's a new guy who loves movies and he comes in and he wants to save the theater from going digital. And he wants to tell everybody all this knowledge. He has, they play a great game of six degrees of separation where they yep. name two actors and he can connect them by six degrees or less. That's a very fun scene. Very, it happens a couple times. And so he really the only one of the three has any connection with the setting of the play, which is yeah. sort of odd. Both Rose odd. and Sam actively dis- express their apathy about movies. Um, it's not just like we don't know if they care. We know both of them say they just don't, they don't really see movies. Part of it might be they were in movie house, but they don't really see movies. They don't really care about the film, digital controversy, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Sam literally has a line, like Avery asks him if he's, he reads him this long letter that he's writing to the person in charge of the theater to, to keep the, uh, the film projectors rather than going digital. And he straight up asks Sam, did I convince you? And Sam takes a moment, says, that's a really good question. I guess I don't really care either way. <laughs> Which I, I, I don't know why that end of that scene strikes me so much, but it really, uh, all, I've read the play a couple of times, obviously several times in the past couple of days, and then a couple of times before that, some friends bought it for me for my birthday, I think, and I read it then. And, and every time I've read it, that ending to that scene seems so poignant and it seems like a commentary on something that I is maybe just outside of my ability to say. Mm -hmm. So the context is that they, the new company is coming in to buy the flick and they're going to turn the flick digital, which obviously Avery hates. So Avery writes this long, really eloquent letter um, about why they should stay. um, They should stay not, not digital. What am I thinking? Not uh, the film, digital. film, film. Yeah, they should stay uh, with like film. 90 millimeter film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the millimeter film. So so he writes this letter and he, Sam is kind of helping him edit it. Um, and then at the end of reading this, again, really well written, uh, good argument. I mean, he, he, he the, uh, the letter's probably as good as it gets for that kind of an argument. And the end, the end of it, he says, well, Sam, did I convince you? And like Jack says, Sam says, well, that's a good question. I don't know that I really care either way. And... <sighs> Let me try to put into words what I what I what I captured out of that. And I, I think I'm probably going to fall short because I've been trying to think about what I think this is, what it gets at me. So it gets to me about this sense in our culture of um, we're we're so willing to argue about things um, and people are so willing to jump in on those arguments and talk a lot about stuff, uh, that ultimately when it comes down to it, if somebody really pins us down, we might say, you know, I don't care either way that, that maybe there's an underlying apathy to the lot of the noise that we make about things. Hmm. So then how do we, how do we connect that I think that's really great. And and that's that, that line too is the one so far as we've been doing this, there's always something that carries through with me into the next day. Um, and that was the line that stood out to me as well. Um, it, it almost seems I, I was trying to connect it to film, you know, back to film somehow, but I don't, I don't think that's what this play is about. Um, so how do we, like it's it's not really about oh too bad we're losing old films and the style in which they were shot and right, stuff because like that. While Avery has that opinion, I don't know that Annie agrees with Avery. If that makes sense, 
Um, she certainly has written a character that cares a lot about it. I don't mm-hmm. know that I would not say that the play strongly makes that case or tries yeah. to even, you know, it, it, it's definitely not a play that's trying to say we should stay with film. It's just a play about a character who happens to think that. So do you think, so then let's, let's carry down this a little bit. Do you think there is, uh, something, what are the things that these characters care either way about? Yeah, like, yeah. Then ultimately, that's, I mean, for ideally every play, but especially yeah. this one, it really boils down to um, the, the trappings of what is going on around them is not especially important to them, to some of them. What really is important is their relationships with each other, mm-hmm. which may not be uh, an especially profound thing to say. I don't really think it is. Um, that's, you know, plays are about relationships. Um, right. But in this case, that I think that that point is so pointedly made, um, especially because all of the characters are trying in their own ways to to um, collect and at the same time to stay distance from their relationships. Avery is trying to make friends. You know, the, Jackson talks about that long monologue he had with his therapist. The beginning of the monologue is him trying to ask his therapist about how he makes friends. And you get the sense that that's in the context of him and Sam. How does he, how does he reach out and try to make a friend? Um, and yeah. Sam is trying to have this relationship with Rose. And I think Rose is trying desperately not to revel in her attraction to Sam. Mm-hmm. And the cleaning, the monotonous, long minutes of just cleaning the theater, I think are – I think that they're really designed to be discarded. Now, that's maybe why they're not doing a more interesting job. Some of the, some of what Annie, I think, maybe is aiming us towards is there's all this stuff that goes on. And your job might be more interesting than cleaning a theater, but it's all just still stuff. But what happens there are, is that you make relationships with people. And at the core, the people that you choose to invest in or stab in the back are going to hurt you. And Sam, mm. at the end of the play, uh, when Avery's kind of really, you know, he comes back and he's really pissed off about being stabbed in the back. Sam is in visible pain about that, about the decision that he made. Yeah. He, he's not on board with making it at the time, really. Um, he, I mean, he decides to go along with it, but he's not happy about it. Um, and he's visibly pained by his decision to do that in the past. And that is what stuck around. This stuff about the theater moving on, about now he's he is or is not a projectionist, that, that position doesn't exist anymore, about now there's new management. All of that is just banter. But mm-hmm. what has caused him pain and at the same time, what has been good things in his life. That's what he talks about, right? Is that there are good things in my life. And what, he's, what he says there are is not, I have a nice new theater now. The, the boss isn't an idiot. What he says the good things in his life are is sometimes you fall in love with somebody and they love you back. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think that these relationships are, are, are just super, obviously what they're fighting for. I think, I think to kind of add on too, I feel like we spent quite a bit of time with, uh, with um, Sam and Avery, I, th- I want to add on a little bit more to what I think Rose kind of has here. She has a lot of lines. The thing that she really cares about is trying to find a relationship that is a true relationship. Um, and and I, I, I think it even transcends um, a, a relationship with Sam because she the relationships she talks about throughout the play are all going quite poorly for her. And she has a lot of lines about kind of self-deprecating lines and asking other people if if they think that they're true of her. She brings up her roommate, left a tirade of post-it notes on her fridge um, about something yeah, that she, went wrong. All the time she brings up her own flaws. She sort of creates them for herself. Mm-hmm. Like at one point she says, she's talking about, oh, I was out partying last night. Oh, you know, I really have a drinking problem. And she's sort of yeah, yawning yeah. and nonchalant about it. And that kind of a rhythm for her occurs over and over that she has to say all these things that must be wrong with her. And I agree that I think um, – she's she's trying to discover for herself what is the true cause of her inability to keep friends and other relationships, especially romantic relationships. I think she talks about how she's unable to keep um, a relationship up past – it's either like four weeks or four months, the number four stuck in my head, but not the uh, in increment of measurement. Um, yeah. 
and she says, well, it's because I'm a sex addict. And so I, I love to have a lot of sex in the first couple of weeks and then I just get bored. And so I move on. And I think the sense is that's not really true when she says it. <laughs> um, and, but she's, she's, she's so desperately trying to probe the people around her in order that something might bounce back to her so that she can discover maybe in tossing out random fishing lines, she'll catch something and somebody will finally say to her, well, the reason why you don't have any lasting relationships is because you're evil or you're mean or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that's where the grain of truth comes back into why I, why I think I, I saw quite a bit of truth in her return to Sam is because she want like the, I think I'm going to, I'm going to steer away from the romantic through line for a second here. I think just in general, these characters and especially she wants someone to know them and someone to care enough about them to stick around through it. Um, you see that in Avery, you see that in Sam care. You, you see, so you see Avery wants someone to stand by him. Um, whether that's his mother, whether that's his coworkers, whatever you see, uh, Rose wanting someone to understand her, get to know her, have something deeper, a, a deeper relationship than surface level um, and, a, and a healthy relationship, maybe. And then you see Sam, Sam really wanting to have trust with people. I see that a lot. Um, he he says things um, and, and maybe not reciprocal trust necessarily, because I think he lies a couple times, at least to Avery. But you see him really valuing and perceiving value in in trust in his what he says to Avery, what he says to Rose, and then having people reciprocate that trust back to him. Yeah. And, and let me jump on that, too. So I, I totally agree with all of your um, descriptions of the character's goals. And, and let me add on top of that, that what they discover is the only reason or at least one of the main reasons that they cannot attain those things is that they are blocking themselves from attaining it. And maybe yes. they actually don't discover that. It, it could be, and actually now that I think about it, I probably would say that it could be that at the end of the play is that none of them come to the realizations that they need to. Uh, maybe <laughs> Sam and count. Rose get together by happenstance, <laughs> or maybe not. But I don't know that anybody's really made the right connections. But, you know, you think about Avery. So what he's after is somebody to, to, to prove that the world is not as bad as he thinks it is. He wants somebody to prove the world is good and people are good. Um, and all he can do throughout the play is provide opportunities for people not to do that. I mean, he's a film. He loves <laughs> film movies. They're going obsolete. You just want to scream at him. <laughs> I know that you love them, but they're going away, man. <laughs> he, he puts himself in that position by loving, by choosing to invest so much in film, which can only let him down. Then Sam wants so desperately uh, for somebody to trust, somebody that he can have a meaningful long-term relationship with. You know, Rose tells us of Sam that he, a while ago, had to break up with a long-term girlfriend um, mm -hmm. and move back in with his parents. He's looking for that stability, that, that, that true life, and yet he cannot have good relationships with his family members. He yeah. has to deride them all the time. And he has to um, pursue the one girl, seemingly, or at least the one that we know of, that is not interested in him. Um, instead of going out and meeting a nice girl on the internet, which he finally does at the end. Mm -hmm. um, Rose is after meaningful, stable relationships, but she's like the craziest person you ever met. And you get the <laughs> yeah. sense that it's so clearly an act. If she would yeah. just settle down <laughs> and <laughs> chat with somebody for a while, they might get to know her. But when she's yeah. dancing chaotically around the theater, you don't really have an opportunity to get to know somebody. Right. <laughs> she's the most destabilizing agent in her attempt to stabilize well, yeah, her life. And she, she's the only person that prevents people from getting to know her because she clearly has no idea who she is. And she actively tries to present herself differently than she really is. Meaning that how could ever anybody ever get to know her? Well, we've solved these characters' problems. Yeah, totally. Yeah, we, just, <laughs> we've, we've written in what they need to do to make their lives as good as they possibly can be, I guess. <laughs> yes, we, we have it locked down, handled for the analysis. <laughs>
Um, th- look, this is a, a, a great, great play. I, I really have a special affinity for this play of all the plays that I've read in the past couple of years. And I try to read a play at least every week or so. So that's, you know, I don't know, 100 plays or so. This is one of my tops. Um, it may not be for everybody who reads it. It's, it's different people, but I really loved this play. Uh, unfortunately, probably you're going to have to read it to experience it. I don't know that it's really going to get a lot of performance because it's really long and people tend to walk out in the middle because they're bored of watching people clean a movie theater. If if you can stick through watching it, if it comes to a theater near you, you should definitely see it and stick through it a little bit because the the human part of it is so good. Um, But in failing of that, you should just read it because it's at least worth reading. Definitely. And it, yeah, and it, it doesn't at least... I haven't seen it to really, really say this with authority, but it doesn't really lose much for the reading. Like so much of this play is dialogue based. It's not like you're missing huge changes of scenery or something like that. It's all about these characters. It's all about what they say to each other and don't say to each other. And that is all encapsulated in written form quite well. So definitely read the play. It is. Yeah, it definitely functions as a piece of literature, of dramatic literature. It probably also plays really well. I'd love to see it myself someday. Uh, But even just as experiencing it as just literature, it's really phenomenal, I think. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's what we have to say about it. Yeah, if you enjoyed this conversation and want to join in the conversation as well, hit us up on all the social medias about different things. Uh, We definitely want to keep having this conversation with you about this play as well. Obviously, we discovered things throughout this conversation, and I'm sure with more conversation with all all you all out there, uh, there's more to discover as well. So hit us up. We'd love to talk about it more. Absolutely, we would. We will come at you next time with a new play. Looking forward to that conversation as well. Yeah, yeah. So until next time, I'm Jackson Nikolai. And I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. And we will see you all next week. Bye. Bye.